In the next uh, hour, or hopefully a little less, I'll try to um, keep it keep it shorter. We hope to look at, for a second time at uh, challenges uh, for today's family, and I'd like us to turn in God's Word to First Samuel thirty. First <clears throat> Samuel thirty. Verses 1 through 10. It will form the backdrop of uh, what we wish to bring this evening. First Samuel 30, 1 through 10. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag in the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David said to Abiathar the priest, to Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men that were with him, and went and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. Thus far, reading of God's sacred word. Let's pray together. Gracious, good doing, designer of the family. Encourage our hearts, we pray thee, during our time here at this conference from out of thy word. May we know what it is, like David, to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. Not in ourselves, not even in each other, though we thank thee for one another. But may we know what it is to draw forth the needed strength and courage to face all that waits us in the days, months, and years ahead, if thou dost tarry. May especially the fathers, the husbands, the young men here, together with the women, each according to his or her role, may we lay all our needs before thee, may we confess our sins, may we experience thy help in the day-to-day issues and struggles and conflicts, and may we pursue in accordance with thy word, the enemies of our souls and families 
And wilt thou give, as thou alone canst do, success. We pray this all out of free grace and to thy glory. In Jesus' name alone, amen. Well, it's been a great privilege to be thinking about the family and hearing from God's word. Also for myself, from our brother as well. It's a topic that we do well to turn to the scriptures on and to fortify ourselves, given the onslaughts on the family, especially in our day. And in this, for me, last address here in the, in the conference, a second on the challenges facing the family today, I wish to look from two directions at those challenges. First, inward challenges. And secondly, outward challenges. Inward challenges. Because I find that it's going to be very hard to face outward challenges unless we have first addressed, by God's grace, inward challenges. Things that hold us back and keep us down and keep us in a place of defeatedness and cowardice, which is not at all what we need to have, especially in days like our own. The world would gladly have us to be on our hind feet. Whereas, with the word of God, and depending on his grace and Holy Spirit, the church should be on its front feet. That is, armed with the word of God. We should not just simply be in a defensive posture, and, and, and certainly not in a bunker mentality. But we indeed ought to defend the word of God and defend our families, but also be on the offense in a gospel, in an evangelical way. Because this is our calling and this is what our world so greatly needs. Well, David was on his way home. David was going home to Ziklag, a Philistine city. You say, is that home? Well, it's a long story. He had been running from Saul. And despite the instructions of the Lord given to him by his prophet Gad in 1 Samuel 22 verse 5, he had gone over to the Philistines to find safe haven from the pursuit of Saul. And many of you remember the story where first he feigns madness and sanity. And Achish the king says, listen, this man needs to go over here, gives him a city. And David pretends that he's going on daily raids into Israel when really he's defeating Amalekites and and other Bedouin tribes at the time. He's living a life of dishonesty, of disobedience, of cowardice. But he has this city, Ziklag, that at least he can call his own, so he thinks. It's a gift from the king. And he and his men are on their way home. You men here, if you ever are on a business trip or you go away or whatever, there's nothing quite like heading home. And uh, especially as you land the plane in, in, in wherever you live, and you take your car or Uber or whatever and you head home, you can just so long to see the faces of your children and your wife 
and um, you're on your way home. There's no place like home. There truly is not. But when David turns the bend, so to speak, in the road and expects to see home, he sees it up in flames. Rubble. Destruction. Smoke. And no family. No happy children. No radiant wife. Gone. Gone. Well, it's no wonder that these 600 men are devastated and distressed, in great distress, it says here. And before we go any further, I want it to sink in upon our souls. Fathers, husbands, are our families that dear to us? That as we see the world pursuing our families, our children, the institutions of family and marriage, as the world is doing, does this grip us? Does this kindle within us a holy jealousy to guard these institutions and to guard especially our own families in a biblical way? Or do we not care? Are we in a place of self-complacency, of ease, where we let happen what will happen? Are we ourselves in a place of compromise, living dishonestly, living leanly, spiritually, in leanness, in darkness, which David was doing at this time? When you add it all up in the context, it's not so much even that David had found safe haven with the Philistines, but unbelief had found safe haven in David's soul. He was living at a very low level spiritually. There's no talk here of God until our our text, verse 6. For many chapters, he's not seeking God. He's not walking in God's ways. He's living a lie. And that's a man after God's own heart living out of the way of God. Living not in sweet communion, Lord, with thee, but in the doldrums, following his own devices, his own imaginations, leaning on human wisdom, leaning on the arm of flesh, trying to piece and fit everything together in his own strength. And, and let's not imagine for a moment that that can't be us or that that isn't sometimes us, especially when things seem to be topsy-turvy. It's often in providential difficulties, which are God's tests, as we saw uh, two speeches ago, that... We can be cast back upon ourselves. We can be thrown back on our own imaginations. And we do get into this bunker mentality. And we seek to manage life. We're not proactive. We're not seeking God. We're not leading our families. We've given safe haven to unbelief. And certainly, if from that posture we look out over our world, we look at it all, the attacks that are mounting so rapidly, so fiercely 
so devastatingly on the institutions of marriage and family. From a certain perspective, don't you see the smoke? Don't you see the rubble? If not in your own family, and maybe it's there too, then certainly in our world and in our churches, smoke, rubble, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And this is a call to deal, first of all, with the inward challenges that are going on as they were going on with David. You see, congregation, these 600 men of David, they are so overcome with distress that they pick up stones to hurl at David. Imagine having your trusted friends, your, 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 your army, pretty much the only thing that you have in terms of this kingdom that David was promised, to have 600 stones aimed in your direction. In a certain sense, David deserved this. He had not been close to the Lord. He had been walking according to his own devices. And sure, maybe he didn't deserve all these stones just himself because these men were no better. But as the leader of these men, in terms of the example that he should have set to them, behind these stones, David saw the finger of God pointing to him. David, where are you? David, what have you done? David, where should you be? My dear friends, if you never have that in life, that God points his finger at you to tell you that something's wrong, that you've lost the way ever so little, ever so much. If you don't know that, that reading the word of God, there's this finger of God that says to you, you are the man. You are to be responsible. You are to lead your family. You are, depending on your station, your situation in life, you are to lead others. People are looking at you. That finger of God from out of his word or from out of the preaching or from out of providence that sets you straight. Thank God for it when he does that. It's far worse when he doesn't do that, when he just lets you wander. He just lets you over to yourself. He lets you just go your own way. You've forsaken him, and he he lets you hew out cisterns that can hold no water. Before we turn to the outward challenges, let's face these inward challenges in our own soul. What are they? Love of ease? Do you ever find yourself saying something like this? I didn't sign up for this. This is too hard. And I'm not getting any help. I'm in this all alone. What did I do to deserve this? This is hard. Everything I do is, is, is breaking. What is the Lord even wanting from me? Perhaps maybe we don't say it like that. But our thoughts. The Lord knows. And so often. He brings us to an end in ourself. 
And that's a good thing. In order for us to seek it all with the Lord. You see, in David's life, no doubt there was bitterness over his situation. There was envy. There, there, was, there was cowardice. There was dishonesty. There was a lack of communion with the Lord. And all these things, congregation, when they, when they are in our souls, it's no wonder we're powerless. It's no wonder our families are struggling or even imploding. What do I do? What David did. Verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. This is the first time in chapters that we read of David going to God. David seeking God. David turning to God in all of his distress. If it takes 600 stones to drive you back to God, then let the stones come. Whatever it is, but may it be quicker. And turn back to God. Is there someone here tonight who who needs exactly this? Maybe your spouse or a friend or your father or your mother had to drag you to this conference. Or maybe you signed up to come, but inwardly, you know what it is to live that lie, to live at two levels. The level of the external, where people think you're an upright Christian, you're a man above reproach, yet inwardly, it's a graveyard full of dead man's bones. There's lifelessness. There's lots of pretense. There's even talk. But inwardly, your life before God, the closet, it's dry, it's dull, it's dead. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. That's you, my friend, whoever you are, man, woman, young person, older one, child. God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Call upon me in the day of trouble. May troubles direct us out of ourselves to God. When we are fallen, when we lie flat on our face, when everything is against us, when everything testifies against us, yet there is hope. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. I picture it this way. 600 men. All a stone in their hands. And David's looking out over them. What is he to do? No way out. There's nothing more to do. No more resources. No more men to lean on. And himself, he can't lean on himself. And so he falls flat on his face. That's how I picture it. Other refuge have I none. Hang my helpless soul. 
had the Lord. But the Lord was there. The Lord was right there. Right there. In the midst of all this. With all the rubble. With all the smoke. With all these stones. With all this bitterness from all these men. The Lord was right in the middle of it. And there David found the Lord. That's how close the Lord comes. That's how close the Lord is. The word is nigh thee. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart. The word of faith which we proclaim. God is near. To to him that is of a broken heart. Who trembles at his word. The Lord dwells with those who are of a contrite heart. David breaks inside. And David finds God. His God. The faithful, covenant-keeping Jehovah. Who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, the Lord, change not. Therefore, David, you're not consumed. David, so fickle. David, so changeable. Me, you, same thing. But God is the constant. He is the immutable God. He is the same. Dear friends, today, when everything is shifting all around us, like a cyclone, God is the same. He's the same who spoke everything into being, who created man and woman, as we just heard. He's the same then. He's the same today. And he will forever be the same. His word does not change. Oh, to draw courage from him. How do we do that? How is it that someone encourages himself in the Lord as God? Literally, the word actually means he strengthened himself in the Lord as God. And and I like our word encourage. Because inside of it, you have that word courage. David lacked courage. He had no courage. It was all gone. He'd thrown it away. He'd thrown... God away. No wonder he had no courage. But in his weakness, he found strength in God. In his discouragement, he was driven out to find courage in God. You see, congregation, God is the source of courage, of strength. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am faint, he is the one I need. It's all in Him. He manifests us all in the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel. Christ Jesus, who had more than 600 stones directed His way. All men forsake, forsook Him. His disciples even, they fled from Him. His foremost disciple denied Him. And God His Father hid his face from him. And there he was. But he was the strength of his people in that moment. And what he did obtained strength for all discouraged, all weak, all faint souls who come to him. Friends, I don't know your life. Have you lost your courage? Is it declined? Is it small? Is it gone? In God is 
all the strength and courage that you need for every circumstance and calling that the Lord places upon you. But find it in him and find it tonight in the God who is near in his word, who says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain you. You will not suffer his people to go it alone. I am with you. I will help you. Be not afraid. I have holden you by my right hand. I will lead you by my counsel and afterwards receive you to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee, O Lord? And we know that this courage was real and effectual because look with me at verse 8. Actually, verse 7. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. The ephod was the means whereby the priests of the Old Testament could make the will of God known in practical circumstances. We don't know exactly how it all worked, but that's what the ephod was for. They did not have the written and scribed word of God as we have it today. Sure, they had the rules of Moses. They had a few things from the former prophets up till this time, such as Samuel and the like, but very little besides. David called for the ephod. You call for the word of God. Has this ever happened in your family? That your wife says to you, you know, something's not right. Devotion time is is, is different. You seem stressed. You seem preoccupied. Devotions are short and they're cold. We need something. You need something. I'm praying for you. What that means is you need the Lord and you need to reach for the ephod, for the word of God. The word of God needs to come into its central place in our our families and in our lives. It's God's living word. He speaks truth into our souls and that's what we need. Why do we turn away from the word of God when we need it most? Bring hither the ephod. Men, the ephod, the word of God. Let it not be on a shelf. Reach for it. Lead your family in devotions. Seek strength to do so from the Lord himself. Be in the word yourself. It's a living word. It will give you the courage and direction that you need. And then lead your family in the truth of it. And then you will pursue your enemies and put them to flight. Which brings us to our second point. In the balance of our time, I want to look at a few of the outward challenges. David goes after the Philistines. And he recovers everything. He recovers his sons, his daughters, his wives. 
He, he, all the other people, they recover their homes, their families. Sure, they've lost their city Ziklag, but they have what truly matters. And this, friends, is the recipe. Take the ephod. Use the word of God. And so I want to bring here six areas as we close of challenge, outward challenges in our world in which, by the light of God's word, we need to speak truth and find truth in the word of God. And the first thing is this. We need the moral clarity that the word of God gives on every issue. Let me repeat that. We need the moral clarity that the word of God gives on every issue. You know what's happening in our day? My brother has pointed this out very well is we have this fog and this mist that's thrown over everything. Everything's called into question. And you know what it starts with? It starts with the word of God itself. Satan knows that if he can take this book and he can sow doubt in your mind in terms of its veracity, its infallibility, its inerrancy, its inspiration, its relevance to today, if he can just eat at the edges... In many cases, that's all he has to do because when he sows seeds of doubt regarding the word of God and its normativity to all of life, he doesn't need to do much else. Because what he's doing, he did in the Middle Ages when he just clouded up the word of God in Latin, pushed away on some chain in some monasteries, in some libraries, but it wasn't there for the people. And no wonder there was this shroud of darkness and confusion. And the Reformation, they brought about, by God brought about this light. After darkness, light. What happened? The Word of God was unshackled. It made its way into homes, into the hands of plowboys and the like, and they could read the Word of God. And they read the Word of God, and they hungered and thirsted for the truth of God's Word. And even simple people, they studied it, and they read it, and they sat under preaching of the Word of God. And the Word of God was light. Unto their path. They didn't have the fog and mist and all the rest of it about.